So again, uh, Mark chapter 5 is where we are. We're going to read the first half of it this week. Look at that. We're going to have fun with that. All right. Well, let's give our attention to God's inerrant. means it cannot err to his inerrant word. This is the word of the Lord. Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he would wrench the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and the country, And people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they came to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat, and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them all that the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we do thank you for this story, this little piece of history from 2,000 years ago. Lord, we pray that you would use this to move powerfully in my soul and theirs. Lord, do good. We are soil. This is seed. Please plant it in our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I was, I was watching a clip from a movie online, and this is a movie from some years ago, but the main character in it is saying grace. He's praying before a meal. And uh, this is how it goes. He starts and he prays to baby Jesus. His wife interrupts and says, hey, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. Don't you think it's weird to call him a baby? It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. He says, well, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can pray to whatever Jesus you want. The grown-up Jesus, teenage Jesus, bearded Jesus, or, or whoever you like. Again, he goes on and prays. He says, Dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers, with your tiny little fist balled up, and he went on. What do you think of that? I doubt any of you pray like that. Jesus once asked, Who do you say that I am? So I ask you, 
who do you say that Jesus is? Right? If it was Christmas season, many people have in their mind a picture of that tiny baby. Right? If you look at drawings, what do many drawings look like? He has long flowing hair, a, a, a nice soft beard. He's sitting around with children. It looks like Sunday school, right? right? That's, that's, that's a depiction of him. Is that, is that who you're praying to? Right? Many people have different pictures. Now, if we were to survey in Cane Bay, I thought about doing this, but I didn't get a chance to. If I were to go ask people, who is Jesus? What kind of answers would I get? Some might say a good teacher. Some might say, get out of here. <laughs> right? We'd get different answers. This, our sermon series is called Encountering Jesus. Right? And so as we read the gospel, we're encountering Jesus as we look at what he said and what he did. So this is a story of what he did. And here's our strategy today. Basically, there's three groups of people in this story, and we're going to look at each of them in turn and how their interactions with them and Jesus, okay? So first is the demons, then is the townspeople, and then and look on page seven, you're going to see this, and then is the man who was healed, okay? So we're answering the question, how did Jesus, or how did people respond to the power of Jesus? We see the demons cowered before Jesus first, second, the townspeople rejected Jesus, and then the healed man pursued Jesus, all right, we're going to begin with the first one there. So the demons cower. All right, so you look at verse 1 again. They came to the other side of the sea. Remember last week, there's that big storm that Jesus calmed. Right, so they've come across the Sea of Galilee. They land here in the country of the Gerasenes. Jesus steps out of the boat, verse 2. Immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. A few seconds, we find out it's not a unclean spirit. It's thousands of unclean spirits, but we'll get to that. Okay, so in verse 2 through 5, we learn some stuff about the guy, the guy who ran to him. You know the Bible doesn't waste words. Mark definitely doesn't waste words, right? And so any, any detail it gives must be significant. So let's look. What do we learn about this guy? Look at, at 3 to 5. Okay, we already know that he ran out of the tombs. He lived there, and that's a strange place to live. And, and this isn't like our tombs. This would be like uh, caves, like carved out in stone. Um, okay, so he lives there. Uh, no one could bind him, even with a chain. It says shackles and chains. So kids, a shackle is like handcuffs to put around the ankles. Okay, so they put handcuffs around his ankles, he'd break them apart. And they'd chain him, and he'd break it apart. Chains, I don't know if you've ever pulled on a chain, kids. It's pretty strong, right? And so, I mean, crazy strength. No one could, could, um, could constrain him. Okay, we learned that. What does he do? Verse 5, night and day. Among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself. I don't know if you've ever heard a grown man scream. That is not a very pleasant thing. Okay, at night, kids, you ever get scared of thunder? Any kids get scared of thunder? Really loud noises, right? Mom, what was that? Right? Could you imagine living in that vicinity, trying to go to sleep at night, and you hear this guy screaming, and he's cutting himself with stones? We learn in another gospel account of the same story, there's no clothes on. To have a naked guy cutting himself, screaming, living in caves. That's quite a sight. So here, here's our guy. I imagine you're the apostles, right? So you're in the boat. You're coming up to the shore. And here running down the hill towards you is this crazy guy. Cuts all over his body. I mean, he's probably huge. That would be kind of scary, right? What does he do when he gets there? Look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran. He didn't try to fight him. I mean, people feared this. People didn't go near this way, right? You went another way to get around it because this guy, this was his territory. Jesus shows up. He runs and he falls down before him. You know, there's two. I don't know if you've ever heard of the two natures of Christ. Have you heard of that? So he had a divine nature, 
right? He's fully God and fully man, okay? So when, the de- when this demon-possessed guy runs up to him, see, many people, I think, just see the, um, the human Jesus, right? And that's what was when we started the sermon, right? It's the, he was, he was fully man. When the demons ran up, they acknowledge his divine nature, right? That's who they're falling down before. They acknowledge this average-looking Jewish guy was not just an average Jewish guy. This was, and they say, look, look what do they say? He says, verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He didn't say Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't, he said, he acknowledged his divine character. And he even begs him in the name of God not to torment him. Well, why would he do that? Well, because in the end, the demons know they're all headed to hell. Right? They're all going to be cast in the lake of fire. And, and here is Jesus a little early. And they're like, please, please, don't judge us now. Okay, that's what's happening. They're terrified. So he approaches him. He falls down before him. But think about that. If even the enemies of Jesus come and fall down before him, should we not, his own children, worship him, right? To, to humble ourselves before him. Here the demons are just falling down before him. But then notice, let's look at the interaction, right? We're going to look at these interactions between these three groups and Jesus. Okay, so let's keep reading. Look in the passage. So uh, the conversation. So he says to him, at verse 8, the, the sequence is opposite, right? So it says, for he was saying, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man. So he comes, he runs. Jesus says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And the man starts begging him, don't torment us. Don't torment us. They haven't obeyed yet, right? Don't torment us. And then they see the pigs, right? And so what do they beg? You see it there. Hey, send us into those pigs over there. Another thing important to notice, demons have to ask permission even to go possess pigs. Interesting, huh? They, they don't have the power that you might think. They are subordinate to Jesus. Here's the Son of God before them, and they're begging him, hey, don't torment us. We just, can we just go in the pigs? How does Jesus answer? He says, sure. Now, what you're probably hoping I'm going to do is answer lots of curious questions you have. The only trouble is the Bible doesn't answer them, right? We're curious. Well, like what happened to the demons then and all kinds of things and the pigs and why the pigs and all this stuff, right? But when the Bible's silent, I'm going to be silent too. What the Bible gives us a lot of information about is about Jesus. We learn a lot about him. We learn a lot about what's good and we don't learn nearly as much about the darkness. We know it's there and we know some things about it, but there's a lot. So sorry, I'm going to disappoint you. A lot of curious questions we aren't going to answer because it's just not here. We don't know. Why'd they say the pigs? What happened next? but we know they went and we know they drowned. What did he say his name was? Did you catch that verse nine? Jesus says to him, what is your name? Jesus requires him to unmask himself. Everyone just thought he was demon possessed, like one demon, right? But what does he say? He says legion. Anyone know what that means? So it's a Roman word for Roman legion of soldiers was meant 6,000 soldiers. That's a lot of soldiers, 6,000. Now, whether this is figurative or literal, whether there's literally exactly 6,000 or thousands, I mean, obviously, he's, it's to say there's thousands of demons here. Thousands of, I mean, could you imagine? I mean, facing 6,000 people, right? But these are demons all in, in, contained in one man's body. No wonder no one could chain him. That'd be crazy. Can you imagine that guy? 6,000, some thousands of demons in this guy. Crazy, crazy scene. So, Jesus has unmasked him, and so now we all know. Interesting ratio. We've got man with thousands of demons and one Jesus. Well, there's no match, right? Thousands of demons, power of Jesus, right? Way, way, way greater. 
Do you remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus told this story in chapter 3, verse 27. He said, no one can enter a strong man's house unless he first does what? Binds the strong man, right? And then you can plunder his house. He was referring to Satan. There was another time when he was casting out demons. So Jesus does this. He shows his authority over the demonic over and over again that he just goes and he casts out here thousands of demons out of this guy. It's wild. Now you all live post-Renaissance. I mean, the Renaissance was a long time ago, but you're post-it. Humanism. Anyone know, heard the term humanism? Kids, humanism means the idea that they're as if there's only science. There's only the physical world that you see and there is no spiritual world. You live in Western world that largely denies that there is a spiritual world. But we, this is a good reminder, there's a spiritual world, right? And there's real power there. I love these verses in Ephesians 6. It says this in verse 12 and 13. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so you should go run in your hide in your rooms. No, it doesn't say that. What does the next verse say? It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That you have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what Jesus used when he fought off Satan in the wilderness. So we don't have to fear the spiritual, though it's very, very real. Okay, so that's the demons. They come and they just cower before Jesus. All right, what was our next group? Townspeople, that's our second point. Let's look at them. The townspeople actually reject Jesus. Okay, so we had the herd of pigs. They're all dead now. We're picking up with verse 14. So the herdsmen fled, they told, in the city and the country. They had no, like, cell phone notifications. The only way people found out about this was people, like, actually literally walking to them and telling them. So this took some time. Look at So 14 in the city and the country, and the people came to see what had happened. Okay, it's likely the next day by now. It takes a while to go to the city and the country, tell everybody, and they all come back. All right, remember that. And we'll come back to that in point three, okay? Probably the next day. So they come back, and uh, look at verse 15. So, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion. And they probably recognized him. Yep, that's the guy. I remember him. I mean, that's why they came. They wanted to see it for themselves sitting there, but now he's clothed in his right mind. Now, naturally, you would expect they would, they would worship Jesus. They'd be excited. They'd be joyful. What was their response? They were fearful. That's right. Fearful. That should sound familiar to last week. Remember last week when the boat was almost to sink? They were in this terrible storm. They wake up Jesus. Jesus calms the storm. And then what did the apostles, how'd they feel? It says they were very much afraid. Well, that's interesting. You see, in a world where the main power is evil, okay, and, and you have evil power, and you have storms that are scary, and, the, and you aren't really familiar with, say, Jesus, and then there's someone who comes and is even more powerful than the evil power that you're afraid of, then you might be afraid of the, the bigger powers. Make sense? Because power without love is scary. Power without compassion is dangerous, Right? And so it would be if Jesus did not, they didn't realize Jesus is loving the townspeople. They just saw his power. If this man can do that and, and, and our, our precious pigs, we've lost all our pigs, right? They're fearful. They're afraid. Well, then, then what happens? Look at verse 16. And the, those who had seen it describe, right? So they tell him, hey, here's what happened to the demon-possessed guy, the pigs. And then 17. And they began to beg Jesus to do what? 
to depart from their region. You know, like, I get it. Like, initial sadness, like, hey, we're really sad about our pigs. But then you look at the demon-possessed guy, and you're like, this is Johnny. Like, we remember Johnny. He used to live in our town. Oh, we're so thankful, Jesus. Who cares about all the pigs? Like, this, a man's life is way more valuable than 2,000 pigs, right? And then they should go run back to their town and bring all the lame and the sick and say, hey, if you can do that for him, we got a bunch of other people you need to talk to, right? But they don't do that. They beg him to depart. So sad, isn't it? I mean, this is like their one chance. You got Jesus right here in your town and you're about to send him away. Big mistake, right? They sent him away. Sent him away. It's sad. And this is how they responded. People still respond this way. Not everyone's thrilled about Jesus. And some people still reject him. All right, so let's keep going. Well, before we do, think about this. Like, they love their status quo. Like, here's option A. Option A is crazy demon-possessed guy that screams at night, cuts himself. You can't go that way. Crazy guy. And you have all your pigs. That's option one. And you're kind of scared, but you, 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 you get by. Or you lose all your pigs, and the guy's better. They really like, they, they picked that option. They said, like, we kind of like status quo. You see, when Jesus shows up, he does kind of change things, Right? And not everyone's thrilled by that. And so we, we shouldn't expect that Jesus would show up and kind of fit in orderly into our lives. Jesus wants to come and transform our lives. That's important. They said no. But I, I don't know that it is their last chance. And that brings us to our third point. All right, so the healed man. Pick up with verse 18. All right, so he was the one who was demon-possessed. Let's go back. All right, what do you remember about him? What do you know about him? Remember, he cuts himself, no clothes, screams at night, thousands of demons in him. That's his initial state. Then look at verse 15. What's his final state in our story? They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. Now, you remember I said it was the next day, likely? What do you think happened between those? Or he gets healed. Everyone leaves. Probably takes him 24 hours to go through the towns in the country and everyone to get back. You think he and Jesus were just kind of standing there waiting for them to get back? Like they probably talked to each other. So he probably just had a day with Jesus, the Son of God. He's now healed, talking with the Lord. That was really cool. That would have been a great, great experience. I imagine they both took advantage of the opportunity. But what a change. What a change from before to the end. But now it's his turn to get a request. Okay, let's review our request in the story. All right, our demons, they asked something. They said, hey, Jesus, don't torment us. Send us in the pigs. How did Jesus answer? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So first, Jesus says yes to the demons. The townspeople, they ask, please leave us. What does Jesus say? Come on, you can say it. Yes. There you go. Okay. So we have a yes to the demons, a yes to the townspeople, and then we get to the guy healed, the guy he really had compassion for. And he says, hey, I just have one request. I want to go with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, wait, what? You mean he said yes to the demons. He said yes to the people that are rejecting him. And he said no to the one sane guy in the whole group. Yep. So if you've ever thought that Jesus isn't answering your prayers because he doesn't love you, well, remember this. He said yes to demons and these guys, but Jesus' purposes are higher than ours. Our purposes don't always match his. And when they don't, he's going to say no because he loves you. You do this to your kids. You tell them no sometimes because you love them and what they want is not best for them. 
See, Jesus had a plan, and what everyone else was asking happened to fit with that. But why does he say no? Look at the next verse. What does he say? He said, and he, being Jesus, was getting in the boat. This is verse 18. The man who had been possessed by the demons begged him that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but said, okay, what's his instruction? Verse 19, go home, Jesus said. Go home. Got it. What are you supposed to do? To your friends. Well, that's interesting. You think he had friends? I mean, at, at some point he probably did. Where, where do you think they lived? That town, the town that just rejected Jesus. That's likely where he's from because that's where he was. He says, go back. And what does he say to tell them when you get there? Tell them all that the Lord has done for you. Tell them all that the Lord. There is power in a changed life, in the story of a changed life. We commonly call this a testimony, right? A testimony is the story of what happened in someone's life. Now, many people are actually ashamed of their testimonies and quite embarrassed by them because of past things they've done in past life. But you don't have to be. I mean, you can't beat this guy. I guarantee none of you ever ran around with no clothes on, cutting yourself, screaming at night, possessed by thousands of demons. Beat that. That's true. But he went and he told all that the Lord had done. I encourage you. Do your neighbors know all that the Lord has done in your life? It is powerful. He did not, they had, he, Jesus didn't even get to go to the Decapolis. So this is the region. Here, you want a geography lesson? Okay, so here, this circle is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Jordan River. Okay, so here's Jerusalem. This is all the Jewish land over here. This is the Decapolis, mainly Gentile. Right, we know this is probably Gentile because they have a bunch of pigs. Pigs are unclean animals. Jews don't farm pigs, all right? So he's here. He crosses over here to over here. And then where did it say he went? Decapolis. Okay, so over here. Because oftentimes, Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Remember that? And he'll say this again. Don't, he healed a guy. He said, don't tell anybody. Well, over here, this is over not on the Jewish side. And so he's saying, go tell everybody. Go tell them what God has done for you. And so he begins to spread the gospel over here, which is pretty cool, isn't it? What Jesus knew was the quicker that, that um, his fame spread in the Jewish area, he would likely end up on the cross a lot faster. The Jewish leaders were very jealous of him. And so he is giving this guy freedom. Hey, go be a missionary, but do it over here in the Gentile land. And that's why he probably, he said yes. Okay, so you're going to see that difference. Often saying, don't tell anybody. Here he says, go tell everybody. But let's look some more at this guy. Okay, so we've got the geography. He goes, and then look at the response. How do people respond? It says, and he went away and became and began began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. I bet. I mean, that's a wild story. Particularly people that knew him. Right? People could vouch for him and say, yep, it's true. We heard him at night. He didn't make any of that up. And, and it's so obvious. Like, Jesus has done something here. You see, we still have that. Jesus is not walking on the trail of Cain Bay, right? But you are. Jesus didn't go over all through the Decapolis over on this side, but this guy did, right? And he began to, to grease the skid, so to speak, for the missionary movement that would go after, which is really cool. How much the Lord has done for you. I love that. All right, so what else do we have here? So obviously he went far beyond his own. Oh, wait a second. You remember I told you that they had missed their one chance? Did they miss their one chance? So Jesus has so much compassion that a town rejects him. And what does he do? 
he sends them the very first Gentile missionary. Isn't that what he did? He said, go back to your home, go back to your friends and tell them all the Lord has done. So they missed Jesus. Jesus went on, but Jesus, Jesus is unbelievable. He didn't have to do that. He could have just sent fire from heaven, right? And been like, all right, I'll leave, all right? And you're go, right? He could have done that. That's what we would have probably done. Jesus goes and sends a missionary to him, right? And they can marvel at his changed life. I love that. I love it. Jesus is unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know what? There's something else that's cool. Let's look back for a second. If you were to look back at our last chapter, this is um, 435. So let's just kind of get our storyline here. So 435 says, On that day, when evening had come, he finished his teaching. We talked about a bunch of parables. He said, Let us go across to the other side, the Sea of Galilee, okay? So they're over here. They cross the other side. When they get there, Jesus has a big, expansive ministry to hundreds of people. No. What does he do when he gets there? He ministers to how many people? One guy. Like, what if he told the apostles, hey, guys, we're going to get in this boat. We're going to go over there, and I'm going to send out the first missionary, first Gentile missionary. Oh, okay, great. We get there. The only problem is the guy is possessed by thousands of demons. No one can constrain him, and he's running around like a crazy man with no clothes on. Great. That's the guy we're gonna, that we're going for. And then what does he do? Look at the next. This is stealing from next week. Verse 21 of 5. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. You mean Jesus crossed over and through a storm, no less, and then came back for the sole purpose of sending one guy out, the crazy lunatic with thousands of demons. And you tell me that God cannot use anyone. God can absolutely use anyone. He turned this man's life absolutely around and sent him out to the Decapolis. And he faithfully proclaimed, what the Lord had done in his life. Isn't that cool? I just love that. When I realized, I was like, wait a second. He crossed and then he came back and that's all he did while he was there. He knew, he followed God's orders. He knew that God had a plan and was gonna do it through that guy. God still does that. He still has divine appointments for us. People that we'll interact with that he wants us to do something with. Okay, so let's go back to the very beginning. Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? Is he that kind, long-haired man with a flowing robe? sitting with all the children? Is he the cute little baby giggling in the manger? Here's how you can tell. It's in your prayers. Now, I doubt any of you prayed like, dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat hands, right? But when you pray, who are you actually praying to? And I don't mean like, of course you get his name right and you probably got his age right, but who is he? Is he this weak Jesus that you kind of like, well, Lord, it'd be nice if you did this and then this. So part of the benefit of reading scripture is to see that Jesus shows up and goes to this guy that's thousands of demons, kicks them all out and sets the man in his right mind, sitting clothed. Jesus is unbelievably powerful. And it shows in our prayer. So as you pray, think about that. Jesus, you are that great. There's another thing I want to point out. Um, kids, I want you to look for the common word. I'm going to read a few verses, and you see if you can figure out that the same word is in every verse, okay? You ready? Um, verse 10. And he, this is the demons. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. 
Verse 12. And they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs. Uh, Verse 17. And they, being the townspeople, begin to beg Jesus to depart from the region. Verse 18. The man, well, Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him. Did you catch it? What word was it? Begged. All these people approach Jesus begging. You see, there's something about when you realize that you're interacting with fully God, right? Remember two, he had two natures, fully God, fully man? That it, all these people realized that it was appropriate to beg because they, they couldn't come demanding. They couldn't come like, hey, buddy, hey, this is what I need from you, right? They understood their relative position to Jesus. Right? You see that, right? All, everyone, everyone is doing that. Um, kids, this is one of the reasons for the fifth commandment. Kids, you know what the fifth commandment is? If you don't, it's okay. We're going to learn all of them this fall, so we'll come back to it. The, I'll tell you for now, though, the fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. One of the reasons it's really important that you speak to your parents with respect, not like your buddy or not like just your peer, but to speak to them as an authority over you with respect is that that is how you're going to naturally pray to God. You are going to think of God, if you think of your parents who are older than you, wiser than you, care for you, as just your peer that you just talk to however and be disrespectful and treat just like they're a peer of yours, then you're naturally going to approach God that way. So one of the important reasons that God gave you the fifth commandment is for you to learn right now with people you can see that then you can learn how to relate to God. Parents, this is why you require your children to show respect because they're learning even at a young age. And, it, and it's a process. I've got kids, Right? But in that process, you're learning. And so adults, you aren't off the hook, right? As we relate to God, who is Jesus? Back to that initial question. Who is Jesus? As you approach him. And, and here's why. Because when life gets real, when it gets crazy, and when water's pouring into your boat and you feel like it's sinking from pulling from last week, you all know you have circumstances. Some of you have them right now. Circumstances that you feel like your boat is sinking. You don't need a weak Jesus. You don't need baby Jesus. You don't need flowing hair Jesus in a robe sitting down reading baby stories. You need a powerful Jesus. I need a powerful Jesus. The really good news is that's the Jesus that exists. All those other versions. He's not a little baby anymore. No flowing hair sitting in little circles. He is the king of glory. And you need him. And I need him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you are who you say you are. We have the gospel so that we can actually meet the real Jesus. The Jesus who shows up and casts out thousands of demons of the word. Everyone's begging and bowing down to him. Thank you, that's really who you are. Lord, I pray that you would lift our view of you, O oh Lord. We'd lean on you more. When things get crazy, we'd actually run to you. My kids run to parents because they know that they can keep them safe. I pray that I and my brothers and sisters would run to you because we know that you can keep us safe. There is no power greater than you. You bound the strong man and you, <laughs> you calm the sea. Wild sea, wild man, no match for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you for adopting us. Thank you that you match your power with love and compassion. We pray to you, Father and Son, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.